This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 77. We're teaching a series that we've entitled God and Miracles. Psalm 77, verse 14. Thou art the God that doeth wonders. This word wonders is the word miracles. Thou art the God that doeth wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Um, you know, in, in church history and throughout the modern day history, certainly, everybody always wants to complain and complain about the same thing. Where is the God that doeth miracles? If God is a miracle working God, if God's a healing God, then why doesn't he do it the way that he used to or that Jesus did or blah, 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 blah. Well, that's nothing new. You need to realize if you read the context of this psalm, this verse 14 in Psalm 77, you'd realize that's what this guy's doing. He's lamenting. Let me, let me back up a little bit. Well, let's start in verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord, and my sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like me sometimes. He goes on and says, verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? This is a place we need to tear up. Now the guy starts encouraging himself. He said, verse 10, and I said, this is my infirmity, but... I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God that doeth miracles. Do you want to know how to get out of your, out of your, your depression days and out of the doldrums or whatever term we want to put on it? That's how to do it. You start talking about who God is and start meditating on what he did before. Now, folks, that's, what, that's one of the reasons, the, the main reason that we started this series as we did, is I just want to talk about the miracles of God. One of the things that uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about the miracle of creation, if you, if you do an Internet search or, or any kind of research to find out how many miracles are in the Bible, you'll come up with every number you can think of. I've seen numbers as high as 333 miracles in the Bible. Most of the numbers are, are somewhere in the neighborhood of 110 to 120 to 130, somewhere like that. But the fact is, it's impossible to count. For example, creation. Do we count that as one miracle or a million? How do you figure that out? Other people try to categorize them. I know that uh, some of the categories are miracles uh, regarding the human body, miracles regarding nature, miracles regarding food, miracles regarding military intervention. Um, miracles regarding animals, miracles regarding finances. But you can't even do that. The catch of fish, was it a food miracle? Was it an animal miracle or was it a financial miracle? Yes. How do you figure these things out? There's no way to categorize them. And folks, I think that's part of the point. You can't put God in a box. You can't put the creator of the universe in the box. One of the things that's, uh, uh, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about some of the scientific aspects and, and uh, uh, things regarding uh, science and physics and, and so forth concerning creation. One of the things that just keeps jumping out at me is, and I think I mentioned this last week, is the molecular weights. 
if gravity was stronger then ammonia vapor which has a molecular weight of 17 would stay here on the earth and we wouldn't be able to breathe now breathing is the thing we probably take more for granted than anything else i mean nobody thinks inhale exhale right it's just an involuntary thing that our body does it's just the way that it works well if the molecular vapor the molecular weight of water vapor is 18 now think about that. The difference between 17 and 18, molecular weight. Do you know what molecular weight means? Molecular weight really is a mass term. It's a term regarding mass, or the mass of an object, not really weight. But it amounts to this. If gravity was um, not so precise, well, let me say it this way. If gravity held on to ammonia vapor in the amount of one electron more, it's the difference in one electron. How heavy is an electron? We don't have stuff that can measure how light electrons are. But if gravity was one electron different, then instead of being able to have water vapor and air and, and so forth here at the surface of the earth, we'd have ammonia vapor which would, or ammonia gas, which would kill every, everything that, uh, that depends on oxygen. That's how precise the earth is. That's how precise creation is. There are a number of scientists that the more we discover, the more they discover about how the, the, uh, the earth operates and the laws of physics and so forth. There are a number of, of uh, well-known, famous atheists that have denied their atheism just by virtue of the scientific discoveries. That's happened over and over and over again, folks. It, you can't look at the world. The Bible says itself. You can see the creator in the creation. If you're willing to see it. Now that's the point. And here's the, the, the real question. Here's the real issue about miracles. Why? We can marvel about miracles. And we can talk about the, the, the physical side of things. And, and I, I love that stuff. I mean I wish I had more information about that things than, those things than I, than I have. But we can marvel about the, the physical side. And the scientific side of things all we want to. But the real question is Why? So why in the world would God operate in a miraculous way? And let's define our terms again. Miracle is most often defined as divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. Nature has an ordinary course. But there is divine intervention that can take place at God's choosing, at God's will, not, certainly not at ours. I don't know of anybody on the earth that has miracle power in and of themselves. I know people that are conduits. Every Christian should be a conduit of miracle power. But we don't initiate it. We're just the channel by which, or intended to be the channel, by which miracles operate. Another definition that uh, a physicist came up with is, uh, for miracle is something outside of time and space injecting into time and space. I like that. Because everything about the universe is time and space. That's what defines the universe, time and space. Well, God's outside the universe. And so whatever miracle adjusts or changes or alters the ordinary course of nature, the laws, the precise laws of physics whereby time and space operate is coming from outside the system. And that has to be God. And certainly not everybody will agree that it's God, but it's hard to deny that it's not something. So what are miracles for? Why in the world does God do miracles? He does miracles to communicate. He does miracles to communicate, but that's not the only way you can communicate. So why in the world does he choose that manner or that method to communicate when he could just talk to us? That's what I want you to think about. 
He wouldn't have to, but he does. In Exodus chapter 1, we're, we're going to kind of skim through this. I don't want to read a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of scripture on this. God starts talking to Moses in the burning bush. He gives us a little background in chapter 1 about uh, Moses and his time in Egypt and how he flees from Egypt because he kills the, the Egyptian and is found out. And so he takes off, and after 40 years, he sees the burning bush. And God begins to speak to him in the burning bush and tells him about delivering Israel. He tells him about delivering Israel. He tells him that he's going to deliver his people. He tells him that he's going to take them to the promised land, the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and whatever other ites are there in the, in the promised land. And he, he speaks specifically about some things that he's going to do relative to the deliverance of his people. Notice in chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, God's talking to Moses in the burning bush or through the burning bush. Verse 17 is what I referred to. I've said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, or Hivites, and Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken unto thy voice. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, here's what, here's what God's telling Moses, I want you to say to Pharaoh. Say unto Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, I want you to notice something, folks. God's first plan was to tell Moses to tell Pharaoh, we want to go three days' journey and sacrifice and worship God. Not that we want to be free forever. Not that we want to destroy your nation. Not that God's planning to... To, to wipe you out so that we can be free and never be under your bondage ever again. They're just simply saying, we want to go for three days' journey and worship our God. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. That's where it started. The reason that it escalated is because of what God foreknew. It's not that this is what God ordained. It's not this is what God planned out. It's what God saw from heaven, from outside of time and space, Here's what's going to happen in the realm of time and space. Verse 19, God said to Moses, and I am sure, the word to, sure means to know. So it can be translated, and I know, or I am sure, that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. In other words, not unless I show a mighty hand. Now, how did God harden his heart? God is simply saying, I know that this is a position Pharaoh is going to take. Now, you've got to remember the culture of the day. Pharaoh considered himself to be a god. So somebody, Moses or anybody else, come in and saying, God told me he's 
Pharaoh's first response is going to be, what do you mean God? I'm God. What God are you talking about that's supposed to be bigger than me? I'm the king of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. I'm God. So that's the way he's going to hear anything that Moses or anybody else would say about God. His question is, who is this God? I don't know him. Why? Because I'm too busy being God. Whatever I say goes. This is what the Pharaohs taught the people. And if you go back and you look at some of the Egyptian history and culture and, and uh, so forth about how some of the people that were Pharaohs became Pharaohs and the stories surrounding them, I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, they tell these stories how that the sun god deposited the baby at the steps of the, of the Sphinx or some goofy thing like that. That's one reason that Pharaoh's daughter was willing to take Moses out of the Nile River because the god of the Nile was big in their culture. So they, they thought, well, maybe this is somebody worthwhile. Then she looked in the basket and said, oh, this is a Hebrew child. So she hit him anyway. So God simply says, I know that Pharaoh will not let you go unless he sees signs and wonders. Verse 20, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he'll let you go. And I'll give, you this pe- I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of, all, and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. Please notice that God from outside of space and time says this is how it's going to go. Now, is God making it happen? Not yet. God's just simply saying, this is what Pharaoh is going to do when you go tell him what I tell you to say. Everything that happens after that, when God starts injecting into time and space from outside of time and space to do the plagues and the miracles and so forth, now that's God taking action. Pharaoh's response is not God's work. God's just simply saying, I know this is how it's going to work. That's like you having seen a ball game Somebody, maybe a friend of yours has recorded a ball game that you've already seen. You know what's going to come out. It doesn't matter how tight or tense or or anxious your friend gets about the outcome. You know what the outcome is. You can sit there just as cool as a cucumber when it looks like the other team's going to win, maybe even to the last second, because you know the score. You've seen it. You've been there. God from outside of time and space sees what happens here on the earth not because he causes it, not because he's in the heaven playing chess with man as the pawn, but because he sees here's how it's going to go. Man has a free will. God just sees what that free will will do. Why? Because he's not limited by time or space. I wish people could get that. I wish people could understand that because, see, that explains both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. God is sovereign. God sovereignly is going to perform these miracles and wonders and plagues upon Egypt. But the free will of Pharaoh is still in play. Pharaoh doesn't have to respond the way that God would prefer or maybe even the way that would be best for him and his people. Are you with me? All right. So Moses starts, uh, starts talking to God and starts making excuses about how can I go? I can't talk and yada, yada, yada. Um, skip with me over to chapter 4. In verse, start in verse 19. The Lord said unto Moses... 
in Midian, go return into Egypt for all the men that are, are dead which sought for thy life. Remember, the burning bush is not in Egypt. It's out in the backside of the desert where Moses has fled to. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. That's the one that God told him to throw down, and it became a snake, and then he took it back up in his hand, and it became a stick again. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 21, When thou goest to return to Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. Put in thine hand means the rod is going to be the sign. It's going to be the instrument that you do, the miracles which which I tell you to do. Notice the next phrase, but I will harden his heart that he will not let, that he shall not let his people go. This is one of those uh, places in the Old Testament where uh, Dr. Young, Robert Young, who was the foremost authority of the Greek, or of the, the Hebrew in his day, and it's, uh, it's uh, included in Young's analytical concordance uh, in the, the summary notes, uh, not an expanded version, which used to be in print, but, uh, but a summary version about how Dr. Young says that in the Hebrew there's a permissive verb that does not translate into the King James. Now, the reason it doesn't translate into the King James, it does translate into English, but not into King James English because the, the King James Bible is what's called a transliteration. What that means is it's as close to a word-for-word translation as anything that we have. Now, there are other translations that are not transliterations that will use expanded phrases to explain what's being said, there are paraphrases that do that. The Amplified is a good paraphrase that does that, and it's, it's accurate for the most part, not in every case, but uh, I don't know any, any Bible translation or otherwise that's accurate in 100% of the time. But the, the King James is a transliteration. It's a word-for-word translation. So therefore, this permissive verb does not translate word-for-word. So it turns out in the, King, in the uh, King James English to be in the causative sense where in the Hebrew, it's in the permissive sense. Literally, God is saying, I will allow Pharaoh to harden his heart. But people read that, particularly the sovereignty of God people, will say, yeah, see, God's behind that. God's the one doing it. God's the one that made it just that way. And no matter what we want to do here on the earth, God's hand is in control, and God's hand's the one guiding everything, and he's the one pulling the strings. Well, if that's the case, then what is free will really about? It's not really free will. Jesus didn't say, whosoever God will choose, let him come to me. He said, whosoever will. Yeah, but the Bible says many or few are they that are chosen. Well, the Bible says everybody was chosen. The Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the world. That means everybody was chosen. Not everybody's going to respond to the invitation, but everybody was chosen. So God sovereignly provided for the redemption of all of mankind. But man through his free will chooses whether to accept it or not. Chapter 5. It goes on and it talks about how God uh, sent Moses. Moses tells Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. If you guys have time to go three days away and worship God, then you must have extra time on your hands. So you gather your own straw and make the same number of bricks that you had before. and, And the people... Rise up against Moses. Now notice in chapter 6 verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses. Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. It starts talking about the, um, uh, the, the plagues. And different things that start happening. He goes to Pharaoh. Well the plagues haven't started yet. I'm sorry I'm ahead of myself. Pharaoh um, 
Moses goes into Pharaoh's court. He casts down the rod in front of him. It becomes a serpent. Then Pharaoh called, this is verse 11, then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, which also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Now, folks, I got to tell you, I have no idea how that happened. This cuts across everything that I understand about what the devil can do. How could the devil turn a stick into a snake? I have no idea. It's one of those things that I just have to say, well, I just don't understand, but I know the Bible is true. So this happened, but that doesn't change the other scripture that I know about what it says. There are some things we're just not going to know. I'm not going to let the things that I don't know keep me from the things that I do know. And that is, we have authority over the devil, whatever he can do. Amen? Notice verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Literally, from the Hebrew, it means this. Pharaoh's heart was strong. Pharaoh's heart was strong. The literal translation, literal version of the, uh, of the Bible, calls it this way, or translates this, this this way. And Pharaoh's heart was strong, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now notice verse 14. Here's, here's something that will prove it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. He refuses. God didn't say, this would have been a perfect opportunity for God to say, see, I won't let him let the people go yet because I want to kill him. I want to destroy his country. I want to wipe them out. I mean, after all, they took my firstborn, Israel. He even calls Israel his firstborn when Moses speaks to, to Pharaoh. He took my firstborn unjustly and enslaved them for 400 years. And so now I'm going to wipe them out. He just simply said, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. It's Pharaoh's choice. God's not making him choose any one way or the other. So then the plagues begin. The water is turned to blood. The plagues of the frogs and the lice happen. Skip with me over to chapter 8. Uh, the Lord did according to the word of, the, of Moses. Verse 13, And the frogs died out of the houses and out of the villages and out of the fields, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Now, folks, stop and think about what's happened. What's happened is all the water in the land has turned to blood it, it's um, it's amazing how scientists and and theologians even in some cases try to try to come up with ideas or, or understanding about how could the water turn to blood well it turned to blood because god turned it to blood but you come up with all these theories there's a theory out there that there was a volcanic eruption and it cast the 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 uh, volcanic ash and the volcanic rock into the the Nile River, and it turned into what's called a red tide. And the red tide caused, created algae that caused the fish to die, and the fish died, and, and it looked red because of the red tide algae. And the fish died, and the fish died, and uh, when the fish died, the frogs came up out of the water, and then when the frogs came up out of the water, they didn't have anything to eat, and so they died on the land, and then the flies and the lice came as a result of that, and then the flies ate the cattle, bit the cattle and gave them anthrax and all this other kind of stuff. <laughs> And folks, uh, truly, I wouldn't have a problem if God used a volcanic eruption to cause any of this stuff to happen. That wouldn't bother me a bit. But why wouldn't the Bible tell us? Why is it so hard for the natural mind to accept that what God said happened, happened? 
I mean, let's face it. We've got an example in the story of creation. The Bible just simply says, and God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And the the light appeared. And he said, let there be a sun and a moon and stars. And they were. And let there be dry land. And it was. Now we're finding out from a scientific standpoint what all the stuff was necessary for it to support life. Well, God didn't go by and say, and I caused the molecular weight of oxygen to be, or molecular weight of water vapor to be 18. And ammonia gas to be 17. And boy, that was a big deal. God just says, I created the earth, made the dry land appear, made the earth firmament divide from the heavens, and uh, on and on and on. So why would we expect that God would say, here are the technical specifications for how I turned the water into blood or how I made the frogs come out? I don't have any idea how that works. I do know one thing. I know when it came to the lice, I think it's the lice that says the dust of the earth became lice. Now, that's a neat trick. Wouldn't you agree? I didn't know dust had lice-producing qualities. So the frogs, Moses uh, entreats the Lord on behalf of Pharaoh to uh, stop the plague of the frogs. And so it says in verse 14, they gathered them together upon heaps in the land stank. This is chapter 8, verse 14. Now notice verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite or relief, he hardened his heart. Now, folks, who's doing it? Is it God doing it or is it he doing it? Is he doing it to himself? The Bible says over and over again he's doing it himself. Verse 16, this is where Moses says, Through Aaron, stretch out the rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of the earth. Verse 18, the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Now, this comes back into my understanding about what Satan can and can't do. But they could not, so that there were lice upon man and upon beast. And notice verse 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now what does that tell us? That gives us a little key on why people reject miracles. When the, the magician said, This is the finger of God. This really is God. Now, you know, we're pretty good at tricks. We did the stick turning into snakes and all that kind of stuff, but our snakes got eaten up or our sticks got eaten up or stick snakes or whatever they were, I don't know, got eaten up by Moses. But this really is God. That's when the Bible identifies specifically that Pharaoh hardens his heart. Why? Again, it goes back to the culture of the day. He thought he was God. He didn't want to admit, refused to admit that there was a God that was greater than him. He's used to and perhaps pretty accustomed to and and likes it pretty well, the fact that everybody recognizes that he's the top dog of all the gods of of Egypt. And there were a gazillion of them. Of all the gods of Egypt, Pharaoh is the supreme god. He's the one. He's the one we can see. He's the one that talks to us. He's the one that directs us and so forth. So when Pharaoh is told by the magicians who have access to the supernatural abilities, they say, this is the finger of God. This really is God. He's doing something we can't do now. This really is God. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Now, folks, the reason people refuse miracles is because they don't want to acknowledge a higher power. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. The Bible says of, of creation that it was, it was a small thing for God. The Bible says of other miracles where God made water in the desert where there was nothing. God said, this is a small thing, a light thing for me. Well, if those are light things, how big a thing is it for him to deliver you and me? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.